2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
0: Mike has the Broncos at the line of scrimmage. Shotgun time for lot Pressure on him. Throws the fade for Courtland Sutton. Sutton makes a diving effort and he hauls it in for a Denver Touchdown. A great throw by Drew Locke, and even better catch by Cortland Sutton. Locke's first touchdown pass in his NFL career. Welcome to Drew sunburn.
2: Drew Locke, took him a while to get onto the field last year because of a wrist injury, but we saw enough, at least I saw enough to factor in everything the Denver Broncos have going on, to put them at number 15 in our preseason power rankings. When I published these a few weeks ago, Chris, that placement of the Broncos drew more complaints than any other placement, except from people in Denver and other Broncos fans throughout the country because there are still plenty of them. But I I can't deny what I believe about this team. I believe in Drew Locke. I believe in Vic Fangio as the head coach. And I think in year two of this experiment – if Locke can stay healthy and he doesn't have a preseason to get injured in this year, unlike last year, if he can stay healthy, he he can uh, he can be great, and the Broncos can finally snap this uncharacteristic slide of three straight losing seasons. He, he excites you, I mean. So yeah,
3: and when, when you have a uh, a quarterback, you know, of a team that's got potential, and then you think, "Ooh, that quarterback! I saw some special talent." Yeah. That leads us to think, ooh, we might see a special team or some special things from that team this year. So I'm with you there, Mike, all the way. And then, you know, listen, would I have put them maybe that high? I'm not so sure I would have, but I understand that I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, man, Florio's crazy. He's totally just lost his mind. No, but because I understand, like, what you're seeing. To me, it does make sense. First off, I mean, free agency killed it this year. Jarrell Casey, A.J. Bouye, one of the better guards in football and Graham Glasgow, Melvin Gordon at running back. Holy cow. Draft. Killed it. Killed the draft. And you add two weapons with a quarterback that you're excited about and we're excited about Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton and Phillip Lindsay already. And now you're going, whoa, Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler? Like, you know, get the hell out of here. That's exciting. So I think when you just look at it from that aspect, let alone some of the mainstays that were already there in Denver, when you talk about Von Miller and Bradley Chubb's going to be back and Justin Simmons is one of the best, better safeties in football and Kareem Jackson's one of the better safeties in football, you look at their team and you go, well, damn, yeah, Florio's crazy, but I understand him putting them there. You know, there's a lot to like about the roster, and then – added to that right there's nothing to question about the coaching staff so I think when you have those two things you know I'm not mad at you for putting them where you put them I, I understand your logic there and even though it's kind of an unproven commodity to this point
2: point. and I'm a believer in Pat Shermer as an offensive coordinator look it's kind of like yeah. Wade Phillips and Norv Turner where you do so well repeatedly as the coordinator you get hired to be a coach that doesn't work you go back to be a coordinator that does work. And eventually they realize probably coordinator is the best spot for this guy. And that may work to the advantage of the Denver Broncos. I just think across the board, it just feels like now is the time. The only problem is they're stuck in a division with the Kansas city chiefs. Yeah. Right. No matter how good they are this year, no matter how much better they can be, they've got a ceiling and who knows, maybe, maybe Vic Fangio is devoted the entire seven months, maybe in the, pandemic lockdown he was cracking the code on how to finally stymie Patrick Mahomes I I don't know that anybody's ever going to figure out a way to completely shut him down but if your offense is better and that may be what the Broncos Uh realize right you know what we can we can try unsuccessfully to slow down the Chiefs offense or we can try to outscore it and I think that's what the Broncos are going for I
3: I I mean I, I I think there's logic to that
2: you know, I think Vic Fangio looks at it and
3: goes, "Wait, my defense is pretty damn good. I got some good talent here. I know how to game plan." You know, yeah, you always got to worry about the teams in your division, so he's going to go, "Okay, my defense, I think I can slow down Mahomes and company." But like slowing down Mahomes and company is different than slowing down the rest of the NFL world in the history of the NFL world. Because slowing down Mahomes and company means what? 24 points, 28 points, so to what you're saying, Mike, your offense is still going to have to be very explosive and make some plays there because I just – yeah, if you're in the AFC West right now, you can't just think like, oh, we're going to win two defensive battles every year against Kansas City. That, that's insane. It's not going to happen. Sorry. So you better have some fireworks on the offensive side of the ball to answer it every now and then to think like, oh, Mahomes and Tyree kill no matter what I do might go off. Might have the perfect defense call for 40 snaps in a row and they still might score six touchdowns. So that's where it's it, it's it's cool that they did take that approach because the defense was set in place there. Now they've improved the offense with these weapons. You know, to me, the only thing I worry about with the Broncos right now, Mike, is a little bit of, like, Cleveland last year, okay? That would be the only thing, you know, and not to, the like, the extent of Cleveland with the OBJ and, oh, my gosh, Cleveland's going to the Super Bowl. I mean, we all went crazy with that last year. But I do think... You know, I just hope Denver's not reading their press clippings, I guess is what I'm saying. I hope they're willing to put in the work and realize they haven't done it yet. Yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. I just don't want to get them, uh, What's they, what do they say, too far in front of their britches? Is that right? Am I, am I good there? Too big for their britches. Too big for their Part britches. before the horse. Right.
2: <laughs> Somewhere
3: in there. Somewhere in there. You've I got it. the
2: two together. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. First of all, press clippings don't exist anymore. Second of all, If they're reading press clippings, they're not coming from a lot of different publications. This isn't like the Browns last year where everybody was anointing them as a surefire playoff team and maybe a Super Bowl contender. And actually, Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, acknowledged on Sunday they did a bad job of managing expectations last year. Yes, we've only been saying it for a year that they did a bad job of managing expectations. They failed to manage expectations and then even though they had a season that by Brown standards was far from horrible, it felt like a failure. I don't sense that same buzz around the Broncos. I feel like this is a team that that the minority at most, a, a significant minority at the very most, is looking at saying, hey, they can be pretty good this year. Because the reality is they're still stuck in the same division with the Chiefs, so I don't think they're going to stand out like a team that otherwise would, that we're pointing at and saying, hey, they could be pretty good this year. That's so fair. I don't think that that's quite it's quite as big of a problem as maybe it could be. No,
3: no, you're, I, I think you're right, and it was good for you to put that as perspective because it, you're, you're right in the fact that Cleveland overtook the national story. That's not happening in Denver. You know what, Mike? I'm more drawing from I'm going on radio stations out there and I can hear the excitement of the fan base, the radio host. They expect big things. They were mad at me that I put Drew Locke, you know, in the mid-20s in my quarterback rankings. They think he's already better than that. You know, so I guess that's where I was drawing from. But you're right. It's in not in the level of what we saw from Cleveland last year. I guess my point was just I'm just worried about so many young guys, so much talent. Ooh, things look good. Pat Shermer's here. All that stuff that, you know, you know, like I said, maybe uh, they they lose their focus a little. But I think the Kansas City point you make is very real. That is going to keep people on their toes if you're in that division, no matter how confident you are, because you're going to go, damn, we're not as good as that guy, 15, and we're certainly not as good as them, the Super Bowl champs.
2: Yeah, it's the Pistons and the Bulls from all those years ago as Michael Jordan and company tried to get past Detroit. The problem is Michael Jordan plays for Detroit. And uh, good luck getting past. Good luck getting past the Chiefs anytime soon if you're the Denver Broncos. All right, our friends at DraftKings have the over/under for Drew Locke's passing yardage production this year at three thousand four hundred and fifty are you taking the over. over or the under, knowing that we don't we don't have a full season to compare it to? No, I
3: know, because but of I'm, the injury. I'm going over. I am. I'm going over. You know, I, I just look at, first off, him, his skill set, the weapons we've already mentioned. You know, there's there's a receiver for every little thing you want to do. Shermer is going to stay patient with the run game. He's got a great play-action passing attack off the run game, which I really like, and I think Drew Locke Drew Lock will – fit right in with the the Pat Shermer scheme and do some of the things you know we saw Case Keenum do in that year in Minnesota and saw a little bit of Daniel Jones do last year to where I go no I mean I'm I'm expecting 4,000 yards from Drew Locke I am I think this is they're going to run the ball yes but I still think this offense is going to go through Drew Locke's right arm and those those weapons he has available to him.
2: Yeah, I agree with you as well. To the extent that people are looking for an intriguing prop bet, I think the over thirty-four fifty. That's If that's low. what DraftKings is making available, they they may want to bump that up a little bit before people start going crazy on the over, because I'd agree with you. I'd take the over as well. I think thirty-nine fifty would be a more appropriate over under for Drew Locke than thirty-four fifty. All right. We talked about the weapons that he has. Here's an exercise for you, Chris. Rank the top three yards from scrimmage leaders for the Broncos the, this year. You've got Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay in the backfield. You've got all the receivers who are going to be the top 3 guys when it comes to produce yard producing yardage. I'm going to go
3: Cortland Sutton number 1 because I think he's a special like he's one of those guys you can formulate game plans around or not formulate anything around him and just go you go out there and let's see how they handle you. Oh, you're covered. Oh, it doesn't matter. You're 6-4 and a freak. We'll just throw it up and you'll still catch it. So I'm going to go Cortland Sutton one because I think the two running backs are going to share some carries there that'll like cancel each other out. After that, I am. I think I'm going to go Jerry Judy, 2 I'm going to go Jerry Judy, too. And then I think I'm going to go Philip Lindsay. Number three. I think that's where I'm going to go. Interesting. I know. I mean, Melbourne. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think Philip Lindsay. Will Melvin play a Gordon role said in the past over the game. weekend, so that's the only reason I guess I I edged that way.
2: Melvin Gordon said over the weekend he's struggling to get used to the thin air in Denver. Ooh. Now, look, I, I'm surprised after being there this long that's still an issue. It, it you should be through that by now, but he's still got another month to get himself ready for the first game. I I, I think what they play the Titans uh, the Monday night is that what it is? Denver and the Titans on the first Monday night of the I believe season, it is. The, the late game. I think that is. Um, yeah, I, I think Sutton then after that it gets very jumbled. I know, it's and, tough. And look, I I think I think what's going to happen with Gordon and Lindsay frankly and because of the position they play somebody's going to get injured which is going to open the door for the other guy to to produce more. That that I feel like sure. at some point you're going to have a stretch where one of those two guys is getting the bulk of the touches because the other guy's banged up because we know how the running back position goes in the NFL. The defense they were top five every year from 2013 through 2017. Fell to 22nd in 2018. Back up to 12th last year. Can they get back into the upper echelon of the NFL, Chris?
3: Very, very good uh, enunciation there with echelon. Uh, yes, I do believe they can. A second year in the Vic Fangio defense. You know more pieces that fit his scheme and you know what his overall vision is. I think all of those things. Let alone, you know. Like we we mentioned a little while ago, I mean, arguably their second best player, maybe their best player on defense wasn't there last year. Bradley Chubb. I mean, he's he's going to be in that conversation. And really, OK, I, I misspoke there. Von Miller, we know, is still their best player. He didn't play his best last year. It was not Von Miller's best year. So I just think when I look at it like that, and and it was still a great year, don't get me wrong, but when I look at it like that and go, okay, I think Von Miller's ready to prove some people wrong, Bradley Chubb coming back, Jarrell Casey, you know, Simmons, Bouye at corner, you know, I do. I think this defense will be better than last year and more dominant, you know, one, because I'm hoping they'll be healthier, have a better idea of of what the scheme is and, and all the details of it.
2: And the thing about Bradley Chubb, and this happens every year when somebody gets injured fairly early and they're gone, they become out of sight, out of mind. Let's not forget about Bradley Chubb. He had a great rookie season from a production standpoint. Von Miller is motivated to turn it around and come back and and have a big year and reestablish himself. I don't know if this defense can be top five, but again, I don't think it's going to need to be top five because I think this Denver team is moving toward if you can't beat them – outscore them <laughs> yeah. and that's the attitude they're going to bring to the AFC West as they try to get past the Chiefs and they're not going to concede anything they're not going to concede to the Chiefs they're going to come after them what do you see though Chris as being the best case and worst case for the Broncos this year alright like absolute best case
3: Uh I, you know, again, I don't see them winning the AFC West. I think I'm right there with you. But I could see them being a pain in the butt and competing with the the Chiefs to win the AFC West, like, late into the year where we're going, man, look at the Broncos. You know, the Broncos win two out of the last three, and if the Chiefs lose two out of the last three, they win the division or something like that. I, I certainly – so, like, best case, I'm going to say 11-5 and five and – You know, in the wild card round, worst case, I don't see this is. I would be shocked if this team fell far. I I just don't see it. I think there's too much talent to where I want to go. Like, I mean, absolute worst would be six and ten, but I really believe like seven and nine might be the floor. But I guess I'll say six and ten since we're saying worst worst case scenario.
2: I think best case for this team is the five seed. I don't think they can win the division, although you never know what may, you know, crazier things have happened than the Broncos finding a way to leapfrog the chiefs. I mean, maybe the chiefs come out and can't handle having the target on their backs. Maybe they've been talking too much about winning six or seven championships and they're going to get, uh, you know, a cold splash of water in their faces this year. But I think realistically five seed for the Broncos and worst case. Yeah. I mean, I can't look that just, I, I've. I'd be I shocked just don't if it was a like fourth four straight and... losing season. Yeah, right. I, I do, they've had three straight losing seasons. That's the first time that's happened for the Broncos since 70, 71, and seventy two. I think anything less than eight and eight just isn't going to happen. I think if John Elway has to put a helmet on and go out there and play himself at any position <laughs> to keep it from happening, he'll do it. They're going to be determined to not go worse than eight and eight this year. So, you know, I know that's a high floor, but I just I don't I see you. this Broncos right. team being you know, the way it's been the last three years. It feels different this year. I, I'm with, um, you. I'm with and, you. I am I can't see worse yeah. than seven and
3: nine. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, yeah, maybe it goes six and ten if they had some rash of injuries and some star players missed. I don't know. But, you know, like staying the status quo, I, I just – I don't see a low floor for this team either.
2: All right, the Broncos made it to number 15 in the preseason power rankings, even though they didn't make it to the playoffs. The Packers made it all the way to the NFC Championship Whoa! They're only at number 14. Whoa! We're going to do our state of the franchise for the Green Bay Packers. and PFT. Are you disrespecting my little Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers would never admit this, but I'll go ahead and say it. Other than the obvious, you know, physical differences, like he's got real skill and I don't, I think he and I are a lot alike.
1: Mike Florio, I mean, don't waste your time reading uh, reading crap like that.
2: No, I know what makes him tick.
1: Mike Florio, I mean, don't waste your time reading uh, reading crap like that.
2: I think we'd have a hell of a time after he beat me up.
1: Mike Florio, I mean, don't waste your time reading uh, reading crap like that.
2: Yes, yes. Doesn't Aaron have anything else to say? No. That's it. That's it. Don't waste your time reading. Don't that crap. Don't waste your time reading crap like that. Thank you, Aaron Rodgers. I still, Chris, I still believe that he and I would get along really well. I do that too. We're a lot more. We have a lot more in common than we than we don't have in common. All right. Uh, one thing we may not have in common. He probably doesn't regard the Packers as the 14th best team heading into the season. But this, more from my standpoint, is a reflection of what the Packers did or didn't do in the draft. That they're on the cusp. Here they are, and they've invited this dysfunction by trading up in round one to disrespect Aaron Rodgers. They can paint it however they want. They've disrespected Aaron Rodgers by drafting his replacement. While he's made it clear he plans to play into his 40s and he wants to retire with the Packers. And how do you reconcile that with trading up in round one to draft another quarterback when you still have Aaron Rodgers under contract for four more years at one of the most lucrative contracts in the NFL? To me, this decision by the Packers to consciously take a step back in the hopes of becoming a team that can compete with the 49ers down the road. They're basically throwing in the towel this year and next year, I feel like. They're trying to build something where they think they can compete with the 49ers later. So fine, if you're going to take a step back, I'm going to give you a step back, and I'm going to drop you down in the ranking of the various teams.
3: Well, I mean, I I get it. I, I think you're going a little low with them here as far as like 14 for a team that got in the Final Four but I got my concerns a little. I mean, here we are. Yeah, it's 2020, and we're back into like, oh, man, it's all on Aaron Rodgers to make it happen on the offense. You know, listen, I like Aaron Jones. I understand he's talented. There's no doubt. You know, is he a superstar? Is he in that top five running back conversation? No, not in my opinion, not yet. I mean, I'd like to see like another year of of real good play before I throw him in there. Yeah, and then you talk about the draft and everything like that, and the free agency. You know, they get one guy, Devin Funches. He's not there. Oh, so it's back to Rodgers and Devonte Adams. Hey, Aaron, you know, bail us out. Hopefully, that run game can continue to grow there. You know, but they lost a a Bulaga. Uh, so there's there's it's a weird it's a weird feel for a team that went to the Final Four last year. I don't really know how to explain it. I guess the bit the best way to look at it is going like you know. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse, you know, and they they are one of those teams where I want to be like, yeah, the offseason, they kind of just stayed the same." And I don't know if that's really like, you know, a term of endearment going into the following season. So, we'll see where it goes
2: from here. Here's my comparison for the 2019 Green Bay Packers. I'm going to go back one year earlier to the 2018 Chargers. You brought this up last week, the Philip Rivers quote from last summer. That the Chargers, who were 12 and 4 in 2018, easily could have been 6 and 10. Yeah, I feel like the Packers, who were 13 and 3 in 2019, easily could have been a lot worse than that. Close games that they found a way to win. They had a couple of losses in California where they got exposed, and then came the championship game in. California where they got really exposed and I think they got rattled I think that shook them to the core I I think the organization looked at 13 and 3 and said what did it ultimately get us it got us an ass kicking by the 49ers that's why I think they've taken this step back they haven't gotten immediately better even though it would have been easy to do it Aaron Rodgers recently said hey, when they traded up in round one, I thought they were making a move for one of these receivers. He thought he was going to have that new weapon across from Devontae Adams in the passing game. That's the logical thing to do. That's the thing you do if you're trying to supersede the 49ers. But I think that that smothering that they endured with the Bob Greasy passing performance from Jimmy Garoppolo where he hardly threw, what, eight passes, I think it was, for the game, I think that was so demoralizing to the entire organization They've decided to a certain extent to rip it down and try to build it back up in the image of something that operates more like what the 49ers do, Chris. You so are, yeah. let's get into it. Go, go ahead. You got any thoughts on that well, before we move on? Yeah. Well, I mean,
3: first off, your point, you know, yeah, 13 and three, it was one of the more underwhelming 13 and threes we've ever seen. And they were eight and one in one score games. Wait, wait. Why were they eight and one in one score games? Hold on, hold on. It's coming to me. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Because they have Aaron freaking <laughs> Rodgers. So, oh, just do it again, Aaron. It's okay. Don't worry. You know, and yes, you know, okay, their defense. I like a lot of their defense, but there is a flaw, as we saw in those, you know, three West Coast trips, two of them to San Francisco, where they got absolutely bludgeoned in the run game. So that is, like, concerning to me, too. Yeah, you got Kenny Clark, you know, but who else in the interior part of the defense is is worthy of talking about? Secondary, I like you. Jair Alexander, the safeties are awesome. I like the pass rushers on the edge. We know that's good. But when they had to play teams that had big offensive linemen and can run it down their throat last year, people ran it down their throat. And that worries me when you're also asking the quarterback on the other side to always save the day and win by one score or do whatever. So um, you know, that that that's my answer to that. I don't know, Mike. What do you think? Best case, worst case, where are you I- going?
2: Well, let, let's hang on for that because we got a couple of things to get to before okay, we get to sorry. best case, worst case. What's more likely, Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP or leaving the Packers after this season? What's more likely? I'm going to say MVP. I, I don't think he's going to leave after this season because I
3: just think Jordan Love is that raw. So I'm going to go MVP out of those two choices.
2: Yeah, and I'm rooting for him to be the MVP. Me too. I know Aaron, you may you may find that hard to believe. I like a good story like this. I always root for a good story. And there's no story better than maybe both, right? Aaron wins the MVP and the Super Bowl MVP, and then he walks up to Mark Murphy with the Super Bowl trophy <laughs> like Paul Crew from the original longest yard, uh. hands it to Murphy and says, "Stick this in your trophy case," and walks away, and he moves on somewhere else and Good luck with Jordan Love. Speaking of Jordan Love, what's more likely? He gets a Taysom Hill package of plays or he sits on the bench all season long? I,
3: I think uh sits on the bench all season long. You know, you know, one, he's not a Taysom Hill type guy. Taysom Hill was a basically a glorified college running back who learned how to throw the football. You know, if this is they drafted this guy in the first round, protect him for the future, let him learn his way and
2: just learn under Aaron Rodgers. All right, Matt LaFleur also added to the team this year. In round two, another running back, A.J. Dillon. Over the weekend, LaFleur was asked about the physique of A.J. Dillon. Here's what LaFleur had to say.
0: I'm just wondering, have you ever seen legs like A.J. Dillon <laughs> on a running back? And uh, is your calf anywhere getting close to back to compare with his?
1: Oh, come on, man. You're going to make me look bad. Uh, no, my calf looks... Extremely weak, but uh, was out there in shorts. But A.J. Wow. Dillon, he has got some massive legs. And, we, you know, we, that's something that we talked about with our staff. We have not seen a running back built like that, not, not in my career that I've ever been around.
2: Chris, you got to love that. Oh. You've got to love that. You're Mr. Legs and Butt and A.J. Dillon. My God, I, that picture scared me. It's unreal,
3: and I saw it in person last year doing the Notre Dame game. Boston College came to Notre Dame, and trust me, it's every bit as impressive as it is in that picture. I mean, he is, I mean, a Greek god the way he's built, 250 pounds. You know, like a LeGarrette blunt, but, you know, more ripped, and it looks like he lifts weights more and does that that way. So, I mean, yeah, it's going to be a great combination. I love those type of combinations. There's Aaron Jones. He's fast. He's quick. He can shoot through a hole. You're used to chasing him, and then all of a sudden, late in the third quarter, you go, what? I got to tackle this bulldozer now? I'm, like, tired. I don't want to tackle this guy. Uh, so I think that can be a very
2: effective uh, effective combination. I remember when the Giants tried to do that with Tiki Barber and Ron and Thunder yeah. and Lightning. Remember that 20 right. years ago? And it took them to the Super Bowl. All right, best case, worst case, what do you got? Uh, best case? You know, I don't know. The NFC
3: North, There's it's up for grabs. So best case, yeah, of course they can win the NFC North. I don't think there's anybody there to look at and go, oh, you know, I don't know. The best player in the division is still number 12 in Green Bay. So I give them – and they got a lot of other good players on the team still, and they know how to win football games, and they're battle-tested. So I don't think they can win, like, a first-round bye, number one seed. I don't think that's happening. But I think they can win the division. Worst case – I can't see – again, I'm not trying to cop out, but with Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback, I don't see worse than 8-8. and I don't. You know, they they could be crappy, and I still think he can pull, you know, a horseshoe and a rabbit out of his butt a handful of times to keep them right
2: at five hundred. I think best case is a division championship, not anything close to a one seed. Right. their best outcome is to have what happened last year happen this year, I think. Go to the NFC Championship game if everything falls your way and get and and, and get handily beaten by the San Francisco 49ers. Worst case, though, I could see the wheels come off. I, and here's, here's one of the big reasons why. Mark Murphy said over the weekend that they had more than 80% of their season ticket holders opt out for this year, so they decided – the first couple of home games, no fans at all. Lambeau Field without fans, that's going to be a weird place for the Packers to play. I mean, every time you see a game on TV coming from Lambeau Field, it's raucous, it's loud, it's the go-pack-go, it's the whole atmosphere. You take the fans out of that atmosphere, I think the Packers are going to be a little wobbly those first couple of home games. They play four of their first six on the road. They could get off to a bad start. You could have some dysfunction brewing within that organization because one thing that I think teams learn the hard way – when you go thirteen and three, and you have that special season, and it comes crashing down, you go back to zero and zero. Yeah. You 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 st- you start losing games early, and you start comparing it to last year. I think you start getting real nervous. You do about 100%. everything falling apart, and I think it. And I think it could.
3: No, I think you're right, Mike. You know, you you start to you, you know you start out one and two. You're oh man, what's wrong with this? Why don't we have the magic of last year? What aren't we doing? What it is it? You know and. Yeah, the panic button can be hit there in a hurry. And, and you're right. Them playing on the road early on, you know, it's sneaky, tough schedule. Uh, it, it's a team that's very, very interesting this year. But they're fortunate in they're, they're in a division that I don't think we can look at one team and go, oh, they're dominant. I feel like all the teams are very close and similar
2: and have a, some big questions throughout the NFC North. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return in honor of Alex Smith, we're going to do a draft of the best individual comeback stories in NFL history. We'll do that coming up here on Pro Football Talk.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Krispie. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
0: of a detour.
1: He's back.
2: No one thought he would be back, but he is back. Alex Smith, Washington quarterback, cleared for all football activities. They had a great tweet over the weekend, and. I I you can see it at the Washington Football team's Twitter page. I'm going to give it a little extra a little extra salesmanship here because my nephew Anthony Zeech, is the one who put it together. It looks like a comic book cover, very well done. He's getting a lot of great freelance work from from some NFL teams based solely on merit because he is extremely talented. He's the one in the family who actually has talent. Mike, uh, that is for damn sure.
3: What one thing, yes. one thing that has just jumped out to me because I like the Washington new look, right? I am a little I think what I realized this weekend though, I I I missed I missed the big like yellow and white and stripes down the middle of the helmet. So as much as I like it, like I'm, I'm disappointed with that. I just thought I'd air that out. Sorry,
2: I, they're not on there still. No, it's I don't
3: all know all maroon with just that yellow gold number and the yellow gold, you know, face mask. So
2: it still works. It Whatever does. they're doing, it, it works. It does work. And, I agree. And if they if they have a decent season this year, I have a feeling Washington football team is going to be the name at least for another season or two. All right, remains to be seen whether or not Alex Smith ends up being the starting quarterback. The key though is. He's in the mix, and that comeback makes him the inspiration for today's draft, the best all-time individual comeback stories. I've got the trivia question for Christopher. Who was the only player to receive the Comeback Player of the Year award twice, Chris? Wow. Gosh, I know I know this, too.
3: And I just, man, NFL Comeback Player of the Year. All
2: right, I don't know it. Go ahead. Chad Pennington. Oh, Chad man, Pennington. I knew, I knew it. 2006 with the Jets and right. then two years later with the Dolphins because uh, he landed in Miami after the Jets ended up with Brett Favre. Yep. So twice for Chad Pennington. All right. Uh, I get the first pick then, and there are many to choose from. Um, given the impact of the player and given what he did after he came back and given that it looked like he was done, i got to go with Peyton Manning. I've, g- I've got to. I've, I'm assuming we're leaving Alex Smith out of this. Yeah, I've yeah. I've got to go with right, Peyton Manning. Right. The four surgeries, the neck problems, the atrophy of the triceps, the question as to whether he could even throw the ball again. And, and the Colts just said, forget it. We're done. We're, we're, we're moving on to Andrew Luck, who's going to be our quarterback for the next 15 years. Oh, maybe not. But they, they didn't even hesitate to move on from Peyton Manning. And, uh, and it worked. Yeah. It, it, it healed. He could throw. He could throw well enough. He set records after he came back. The irony is that it was only after he was completely falling apart, otherwise physically, that's when he finally won his second Super Bowl. Yeah. But uh, that 2013 season was a was a special all time season. Two years after the uh, the lost season to the next surgeries, so uh, that one, given who he was, given what he overcame, given it would have been very easy for him to just walk away after everything he'd accomplished. You throw all that together, and it's one of the great comebacks we've ever seen
3: yeah no, no no doubt about it you know I think when you, you I mean just amazing yeah we thought oh no is he ever going to play again is he ever going to be the same to holy cow he's setting the NFL on fire here with you know four and five touchdowns a week and they were just unstoppable on the offensive side of the ball so good pick by you I'm not mad at you I think I got to go Kurt Warner with mine you know because Kurt Warner to me like did it twice you know, first off, all right, yeah, he was, you know, the Giants. He went to the Giants. They drafted Eli Manning. You're thinking, oh, man, it's over for Kurt Warner. He's done. He goes to Arizona and, like, has this revival of his career. But really, like, I, how about the first one? You know, you're not on a team. You got to go back to Northern I- – you know, Green Bay cuts you. You go back to Northern Iowa. You know, you're, you're, you're bagging groceries. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, playing for the Rams and the greatest show on turf and a Super Bowl MVP and the NFL MVP – you know, that that to me, even though it's not an injury or anything like that, still is an unbelievable comeback story times two, really, and especially that first part with him, you know, being cut by Green Bay.
2: Yeah, I mean, he really bounced around, and it was a show of that that drive and that motivation, and he had the opportunities. He played for the Iowa Barnstormers. He played in NFL Europe or whatever name it had at the time. It had seven different names during its life. Those opportunities aren't there, and especially this year with no preseason games, limited chances for guys to get to get film of what they can do and to show that they can perform. These stories are going to be fewer and farther between where it was a guy who comes out of nowhere and really turns it around. It's going to be somebody else who gets those opportunities because it's going to be harder to prove yourself. To. That, that's a good choice by you. Next one for me, Eric Berry the Chiefs' safety who overcame cancer and came back and played. Yeah. It's a shame he wasn't with the Chiefs last year when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, maybe they'll give him a ring. We're still trying to find out when the rings are going to be distributed by the Chiefs. They're, they're finalizing the plans, I think, very soon for giving them out. But Eric Berry, anytime something like this happens where you have a high-profile cancer patient, it can inspire so many others who deal with that battle, who deal with that adversity, and need someone that they can point to. As their source of inspiration, and you know my, my mom went through it years ago, like Jim Valvano was the guy that she sure she used as her inspiration. You find somebody who's in a high profile setting who is doing it and who is doing it well and who overcomes it and, and that's and for him to come back play in the NFL after beating cancer, it just it's it, to me it, it, it resonates uh, because I think it's so important when you have someone in a platform like that who does fight it and beat it and and help others who are dealing with it every single day
3: yeah just a great way about him and you know yeah unbelievable you know to to deal with that come back play as well as he did you know, then, of course, unfortunate to get hurt once again and hurt is, you know, is is what, Achilles, I believe, or whatever it was. Achilles, week yeah. one,
2: week one, what was it, week one, 2017, because blew the out the Achilles.
3: Yeah, that, that was a shame. That really was. But, yeah, that was one of the better stories we've had here in the NFL over the last four or five years, and uh, hope he's doing okay and continuing to fight the good fight there. All right. I'm going to go John Riggins with my second one, Okay. Good old John Rigo. Okay. You know, Rigo, 1980, he wanted more money. He, and he said, Nope. Oh, all right. Fine. Not going to give me more money. The hell with this. I'm not playing for this Washington team. And he basically took the year off. And then he came back and said, I'm bored. I'm broke. I'm back. In 1981, he comes back and they go to the Super Bowl. And he wins Super Bowl MVP. I, you know, again, it's not like your typical comeback story after injuries or you know life-threatening disease, anything like that. But damn, I don't know. It just tells you what kind of a freaking nature John Riggins was. You talk about legs and butt. First off, he he had it, and yeah, to be able as like, a running back to take a year off, you know, in the prime of your career, and then come back and just kick butt again—that's pretty damn impressive. So uh, I, I'm going with John Riggins there and pick two.
2: Yeah, that one's, uh, that one's an interesting pick. Look, yeah. I'm not in the mood today to knock your picks. It's creative. So Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a gold star for that. And uh, Riggins was an all-time great character, and it's great he came back. They needed him in that Super Bowl where he uh, turned the fourth and one into the touchdown. That was the moment that really delivered it for the team. Next one for me, this is one we talk about from time to time when we talk about the Pro Bowl. Even though it didn't happen in the stadium, it's the incident that happened at the – beach two-hand touch football game 1988 season Robert Edwards the horrific knee injury that almost resulted in amputation he was told at the time he'd have to walk with a cane for the rest of his life now he didn't come back and become a star but he made it back Mm -hmm. at the running back position he came back which is incredible if Robert Edwards, after that injury, as bad as it was, a severed artery and ligaments torn, and and they seriously thought they were going to have to amputate the leg playing beach football. For him to be able to come back and put on an NFL uniform is tremendous, and it's the closest thing I can think of to this Alex Smith situation.
3: Yeah, that was uh, nasty. I mean, I can remember that as a kid watching that Pro Bowl event and just seeing all their legs get tangled up and him rolling there and going, oh, man. Uh, But that that was serious and unbelievable that he came back to even, you know, get snaps in the NFL, like you said. Uh, So that was a good one by you. I did not have him written down. I had kind of forgotten that one. So, uh, all right. You trying to challenge my Johnny creativeness this morning? Good for you. All right. Well, I got another one for you. I think you're going to like this one. Rocky Blyer. I'm going with Rocky Blyer. Guy gets drafted. Literally into the NFL, and then literally gets drafted to go to a war, the Vietnam War, and then comes back and has a huge role for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and goes on to play there all those great years, you know, sharing time with with Franco Harris and everything like that to win four Super Bowls, and of course have that one awesome touchdown catch in the Super Bowl and everything like that, uh, which I believe was Super Bowl ten against the Cowboys, and maybe that was Super Bowl thirteen. I can't remember. It was one of the Cowboy ones, but. I mean that to me when I just was looking up comeback stories, that you know you don't hear that every day. What well, you well, so? What happened to your pro career? Well, I had to go to war in Vietnam for a while, and then I came back to play football. I mean that's freaking amazing. So uh, and he got aware. injured. And he, he got, got injured. injured.
2: Right. right. Yeah. He was he was shot in the left thigh by an enemy bullet. Damn! And uh, while he was down, an enemy grenade landed nearby after bouncing off of a fellow soldier, sending shrapnel into his lower right leg. He lost part of his right foot. Wow! And came back and played in the NFL, Chris. So, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, your your research didn't uncover that little tidbit, which makes it even more impressive. <laughs> others that I had, others I had, I had Frank Gifford, who took that wicked hit from. Concrete Charlie Bednarik right. that knocked him out for a full year. He came back and played after that. Rod Woodson torn sure. ACL week one 1995 against the Detroit Lions. Came back and played that year in the Super Bowl. Remember, after he made a play, he got up and he, he, pointed he, he, at he his taunted. Knee. Yeah, the only time in the NFL that anyone's ever taunted anyone by pointing at their knee. <laughs> but that's what Rod Woodson did in Super Bowl 30. And then Drew Brees. Yeah, Drew, Drew Brees. After the 2005 season, his last game as a Charger, his shoulder got messed up. That's why the Dolphins didn't want him. They gave up a second-round pick to get Dante Culpepper that year instead of the free agent who had 20-plus studs in his shoulder. The Dolphins wouldn't touch him. Amazing. The Saints roll the dice and they end up with one of the great quarterbacks of all time, Chris. Yeah.
3: I mean, Drew Brees, that was the one that was hard to me, you know, hard for me not to pick there in the draft because that is, I mean, he went to like, ooh, can he ever be a starting quarterback to like throwing for 5,000 yards every year, which was, which is unbelievable. Also had, I also thought about Brady, you know, with his four game suspension coming back, you know, only bringing the team back from 28 to three and then win the Super Bowl that year. Joe Montana, right? I mean, he was not—he didn't play football for, you know, basically a year and then went to the Kansas City Chiefs and made them relevant and went to the playoffs and all that. And then I even had Michael Vick on my list, too. You know, hey, whatever you want to say, I don't like the circumstances that led up to that delay, but Michael Vick still came back when 10-6 and six as a Pro Bowl. That was pretty unbelievable, too.
2: And I got to give our friend Mike Downs in Ironbridge a shout-out from Sky Sports pointing out Teddy Bridgewater. We didn't mention Ooh. him. How could we forget Teddy Bridgewater? No doubt. The horrific – acl tear four years ago and now he's the starting quarterback of the carolina panthers at a time when few thought he would come back and play at a high level in the nfl all right we're going to take a break plenty more pft live still to come we'll be right back one week from today the live broadcast of pft live will be exclusively on peacock now i've gotten a lot of questions from people about this and i know that There are folks out there that are still very loyal to their cable packages, and that's fine. Look, we have no problem with that, and we'll be on NBCSN from 9 to 11. The re-air stays put, but streaming is the thing now. Peacock is the thing, and we will be there live from 7 to 9. You can watch it there, and it's easy. Chris, you get it on your phone. You get it on your computer. I know. You get it on your smart TV. It's everywhere, and so you can watch the show live still. You can wait till 9, or... You know, if you don't DVR it, you can watch it on Peacock at any time, all day long. You don't have to worry about recording it; it's there if you want to watch it. So that's coming up a week from today. The radio show still exists on Sirius XM Two Eleven, podcast still available, tune in, etc. The show's everywhere; it's anywhere you want to be. But as of next week, we're on Peacock, and I'm looking forward to that because I'm telling you, Big but thing. If you haven't noticed, if you haven't noticed streaming is kind of here to stay yeah it's like cable tv back in the early 80s right everybody was complaining oh cable tv well it's kind of here to stay until streaming and now streaming's going to be here until the next thing although i don't know what the next thing is i don't know what can be more efficient than picking up your phone pressing a button and watching a show
3: no i mean you're right it it is it's already here it's the wave of the future i mean it's hard to find you know any friends of mine who are 35 and younger you know, I, it's still shocking to me. They don't have, you know, satellite TV or cable at their house. They do it all on their computers. And that is. it's the way of the world. I just worry about like, you know, my aunt Wendy and things like that. That's I got to get her up to speed with all this stuff. We'll yeah. make sure Aunt Wendy's up to speed. Yeah, got- I've
2: got no I've got no cable. I've got no satellite in my house. I've got all internet to all my TVs wow. are wired for the, everything. It's and it's once you make that once you make that change, it's like what what took me so long. So folks, you got a week the clock is ticking get to it the clock is ticking on us pads go on today chris i i'm i can feel it
3: yeah can you feel it oh it's definitely i'm excited i'm excited just to see some highlights i hope we see some live contact things like that on social media i mean we're starving for anything football wise that's for sure fights
2: we want fights <laughs> just a few just a few see you tuesday everybody have a great day see ya